Welcome to the Analytics Power Hour. Analytics topics covered conversationally and sometimes with explicit language. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Analytics Power Hour. This is episode 228. You know, what are AI's capabilities? You know, where are the boundaries? Well, I asked an AI to write an intro to a podcast about this topic, and here's what it came up with. The rise of AI has led to increasing fears that humans will be replaced in the workplace, but there are areas where AI cannot go. And in this episode, we're going to dive into these areas and explore the promise and limitations of artificial intelligence. It's time to overcome the hype and truly understand what makes human intelligence indispensable for now. I don't know why it said for now at the end, but uh, let me introduce my co-hosts. I didn't actually say that's a little joke, but all right. Mo Kiss, you're the director of marketing data at Canva. Hello. How you going? Good. And what I can confirm is that AI is not as funny as you. Like that is a true thing. Well, I mean. Like, that was missing some good humor. Some Helb's intro humor. I tweaked it a little bit to make okay. it more ominous. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> And uh, Julie Hoyer, Manager of Analytics at Search Discovery. Hello. How you doing? Hello. Uh, happy to be here. Can't wait to dive in and talk about all the human aspects. I love it. I'm excited too. And I'm Michael Helbling. I'm the founder at Stacked Analytics. We also wanted to bring in a guest, someone who could bring some expertise to this topic. Dr. Brandeis Marshall is the CEO of Data EdX Group, a data ethics learning and development consultancy. She's a computer scientist with a PhD from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and has served as faculty at Spelman College and Purdue University. She's also the author of the book, Data Conscience, Algorithmic Siege on Our Humanity. And most of all, today she is our guest. Welcome to the show, Dr. Marshall. Hey, 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 it's wonderful to be here. Let's talk about AI and the soulless part. <laughs> this, yeah, what can't AI do yet? Uh, no, but, you know, part of this discussion stemmed from, I think, a Medium post that you wrote about sort of what AI can't do. But maybe let's start further back as AI has kind of blossomed in the last, you know, three or four months and you've been obviously in the computer science and the data space for quite some time. Yeah. How have you seen this unfolding from your perspective in the data community? I've been what I call as an early observer. I'm just watching AI become public and how it has taken over everyone's minds. <laughs> and I think everyone needs to just calm down. <laughs> Take a beat. <laughs> Give it 30 days. Everyone's trying to jump on a bandwagon. Everyone's trying to like open an account. Everyone's trying to use a technology, but they don't understand what it is, what it does, how it's useful, or if they really even should be applying it. Is it even relevant to their everyday lives? And so as someone in this space, I'm sort of got the, the, the lawn chair out with the popcorn <laughs> <laughs> just like, I'm just going to watch these fools do some things for a couple of days and then I'll say some things. Nice. I was going to ask, what are some of the areas that people believe AI is really good in that you already see as like false hope or not where it would be best used? I think the number one would be that it's going to replace people's jobs. I think Everyone is just like, oh, AI is now going to do the job that I do. And so I won't have a job. And no one really understands algorithms or AI in a way that I do, because AI and more specifically algorithms, they just go forward. They're trying to get a result. They're trying to get an answer. They're trying to produce some outcome. That's not the human way. So when you try to replace humans with AI tools, systems, platforms, you're going to run into problems and errors because AI is going to mess up. I mean, we've already seen it time and time again. The chat gap is going to produce some language that doesn't make sense. So you have mm -hmm. to retool it. It's going to produce a list of agenda items that'd be like, that's not useful. So there's people that still have to be in the loop. 
Well, that's the biggest thing that I've seen so far, but because people are just firing folks and they're going to have to like rehire at least half their staff back because they're going to realize that AI is just, it's a dud if it's unsupervised. Mm. What do you think? Because like this, um, I guess this perspective or like this hype around it's going to take everyone's jobs and you know we're all going to be out of work and that sort of thing it's not it's not a view that I share because I'm always like cool you can do the boring bits of my work and then I can (laughs) hopefully focus on the fun bit or the people stuff which is the things I love anyway like I want to work in the complex stuff so if you can automate simple things to me that actually makes my life better but it just seems like the conversation has gone off track somewhere is it that the topic itself is so difficult for people to navigate? Like, why has this conversation kind of been derailed that, you know, people have this fear? I think the fear is because of the bad actors. I mean, there is AI voice that has been scamming people for years, but it has definitely taken an uptick in the past few months with ChatGPT and other generative AI systems. So if you're unfamiliar, AI voice replicates the voice of a real person, but it is uh, really a bad actor who is trying to scam the person on the phone in order to get money, claiming that their loved one has been kidnapped in some respect, right? Additionally with banking. But I think the reason why this AI hype is around is because there hasn't been any really good education around data skills. No one really understood an algorithm till about five years ago, right? And then after they understood an algorithm, then it all of a sudden jumped to data science. That was like a big word that everyone was afraid of and no one really broke it down to just say it is statistics and it is coding that is now being exploited into society. So that's another thing that happened, that evolution. And I think most prominently is that there's been very little governance around it. There's been no guardrails around what companies can do and cannot do with our content, with our data, with our likeness. I mean, we all sign these forms to say, you can use our voice and our picture however you like. And that's been going on for generations. But now in the digital space, people can now make up different people, right? And so the rate in which algorithms have turned into AI tools that have then been used by bad people has made everyone scared. And no one has just said, let's just have like tech education 101 for the world. No one stopped and done that. And it feels like, too, it's a little bit of like future talk is a big focus of like, oh, now that chat GPT and everyone can use it and everyone was like so wowed by it, right? Like you were saying, it's kind of like come up. It's very front of mind for everyone and everyone is very a little in awe. And then it's the chatter of like, oh, what's coming next? What does this mean is coming? And I feel like people very quickly do get into that cycle where they're saying, well, if it can do this, it can do all these other things. And maybe a lot of it too is like assumption of what's coming rather than looking kind of to your point, the reality of where it's actually at and how it's currently working and what's feeding it and all those considerations and assumptions that go into this underlying algorithm and being able to critically think about like, what are the shortcomings of that? Like, what does that mean then for how it can actually be utilized out in the, you know, everyday world? I feel like that is it took a while, I think, even for myself to start to think of those things when it first came out, because it was just like the buzz and the hype of, oh, look what it can do. Right. But I think because I am a Black woman living in America, I'm always looking at the pros and the cons because every system is not designed with me in mind. So I'm always considering, okay, there's some good things that this can do, but what are the bad things that are harmful, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there was conversations back in 2019 that I was a part of when it came to deep fakes. And I was like saying, hey, deep fakes are bad. Deep fakes, this is, a, this is an important conversation we need mm-hmm. to have about how people's faces are superimposed on other people's faces. And this is a terrible thing that technology is able to do now. And folks were not really paying that much attention. 
that technology has turned into what we are dealing with now with AI writing and AI voice and generative AI. So there ha- there is contingency of people who tend to be those that are historically excluded from systems that are raising alarm bells, but no one's listening because everyone's just trying to make a buck. There is that capitalistic mm. society. There is the tech culture of trying to convince everyone that tech is the solution. And there are people like myself that are saying, yes, tech can do good, but it also can produce harm. So let's look at both sides of the coin and then let's march forward, open minded and open eyed. Okay. But so my mind is going in two totally different directions. There was a report a few weeks ago covered by Australian media. Basically, we have an e-safety commissioner and they've started getting complaints of children using AI to generate explicit imagery of other children to bully them online, right? That's horrendous and is covered by the press here. And so like the need to focus on, I guess, the bad or what can go wrong is important. But then the, the other side of me is also saying like, this is also generating a lot of that, like, and I don't want to say hysteria because this is obviously a horrific situation, but it's generating that negative press about AI that then also makes people like reluctant maybe to see the positives or like how it can be like, I'm seeing both sides of the story, right? Like you need to educate people about the negatives, but if they get, you know, covered in the press, is that also going to be detrimental to the conversation? Is that, right. is that, I'm not sure if I'm making sense here. No, you make perfect sense. Cause this is what I battle all the time is saying, we need to start thinking about what are interventions, what are solutions, what are things that we can tell people in order to do. So like one thing that is very top of mind, especially with AI voice is do not answer calls that you don't know the number. Don't respond mm. to texts that you don't know the number. If it's coming from your quote bank via text or email, you call your bank branch directly. You don't click on the link inside of your text or on the email because you want to make sure that it has been vetted. So there are there, there are very directed, tangible steps that people can do to vet. But the issue is, is that there's so much of the extremes to your point, Mo, that Mm. the actual helpful insights don't get through in the media, right? Because the media feeds off of the extremes. Mm. The media doesn't feed Mm. off the solution. Totally. And so we as a people, I'm one of those like lone people going, let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about ways that we can build equity in everywhere so everyone understands. So the, the parent that has the child that's being bullied knows what to do and what to say yes. to the administrator at the school, right? In order to yeah. say, this is how my kid is being bullied and here's the evidence. Like that is helpful and useful. And that's a way to use AI that is powerful and impactful and also protects those who are vulnerable. But that's not the conversation we're having. We're always having Mm. the extremes. We're never talking Mm. about the solutions. Right. And I wonder if those extremes, to me at least, this is how I personally feel. And I I do wonder if other people may feel this way, like kind of going back to why we think AI can do everything is because you hear those extremes and you think if it can do that, what else can it do? And it's Mm. scary. And it's like, we've never faced something like that. Like you can superimpose my face on you know these images these videos and it's not me i feel like that those extreme cases help people's imagination probably go very wild with what is actually possible and it's probably hard then to your point dr marshall like bringing it back to what are the solutions what are the real boundaries in which ai has to work in and it's hard to get people to kind of come back i think to that concrete space after hearing you know a story like what mo you just shared i mean that's crazy Yeah. I mean, those type of cyberbullying is happening all the time. But then there's the fun side of the extremes. Right, Julie? Like you see the AI generated dance moves of like the former presidents. Like I just saw that on IG a couple days ago. Right. So it's like, you know, so it was like, oh, that's fun. Right. Or you see your face distorted in different ways. That's sort of fun. So then people get into that creative mode, too. And then again, Mm. that feed into the, oh, this is all the things that AI could do for me, but Mm -hmm. they don't talk about 
isn't that kind of weird that you can take a former president's face and superimpose it on a different body and then make it dance? Like, don't, do we really want that to be a good thing to happen? Right? (laughs) Right. All right. It's time to step away from the show for a quick word about Pyrrhic Pro. Tim, tell us about it. Well, Pyrrhic Pro is easy to implement, easy to use, and reminiscent of Google's universal analytics in a lot of ways. I love that it's got basic data views for less technical users, but it keeps advanced features like segmentation, custom reporting, and calculated metrics for power users. We're running Pyrrhic Pro's free plan on the podcast website, but they also have a paid plan that adds scale and some additional features. That's right. So head over to Pyrrhic.pro and check them out for yourself. Get started with their free plan. That's Pyrrhic.pro. All right, let's get back to the show. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your Medium post because we've kind of touched on, I guess, the extremities of AI, but in particular what AI can't do. Did you want to kind of take us through the first one that you mentioned is contextual awareness? Yeah, so how I talked about, how I thought about this Medium post was me sitting in a room full of other people thinking about how they were having a little bit of AI hype. And, and they were questioning what AI could do for them. And I started to just identify these three areas. So the first one is contextual awareness, which is multifaceted because context is something that takes the political, historical realms all together, in addition with social and economic factors as well. So I really wanted to talk about how AI does not have context in a lot of scenarios because it is only given a certain amount of space to make a decision about the next step. It doesn't necessarily have a idea of the journey. It only knows about one step at a time. So that's the contextual awareness that we as humans have that AI does not have. I don't think ever will have, but again, that's a point of contention for some people. And then The second one happened to really be about, oh, shoot, I forgot. I forgot my own stuff. What's the second one? Oh, conflict resolution. (laughs) Um, So conflict resolution was the other one that really was top of mind, because when it comes to conflict resolution, there's always a friction point and a contention. And what I know of algorithms and how software works just in general right? Teaching it for a long time, helping to build a couple of software systems is that software systems don't deal with conflict. Well, they just sort of bail out. They say, cannot answer the question or they stall (laughs) or something. So we as humans can actually be part of resolving conflict and dealing with tension points way better than any machine could actually do it. And then the last one, which I think is the most important one, which is the critical thinking. And for me, the critical thinking is the preamble to the other two. Critical thinking is how we can prevent situations from happening in the digital world that impacts us as a society negatively. And so how do we as individuals make decisions and swerve, right? We get a new context, we get a new conflict, and then we decide to take a different route. I really think of GPS systems, which is a very good use of AI. You have to put in a destination, you have to know where you're starting, and then GPS will find that route. You can put in intermediate stops along your route and the GPS will map it out for you very beautifully. But if you want to change where you're going, you have to abandon the original route, right? And so when it comes to critical thinking, we as humans do this switch relatively seamlessly because we are taking in multiple factors and we don't just have one destination in mind. We might have multiple at the same time. So that's a little bit of my medium post and what I was thinking through as I was just like writing it down and just saying, y'all, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I think AI ain't critical- got us beat. <laughs> I think the critical. 
critical thinking one is like for me personally is probably the most interesting because it is a skill set that we are constantly discussing in the data space. I would argue lots of people are not even good at critical thinking, let alone trying to get a machine (laughs) to replicate it. And it can be so difficult to define and like pin down. I was trying to explain it to someone the other day, what we mean when we think about really like problem solving and working through something. And it's like, there aren't a set of rules that you can plug into a machine and be like, do this and then this and then this. And I've, right. I've had attempts of getting analysts to try and explain this process to another analyst. And it's like, it's actually hard because it isn't a step-by-step. It is literally a choose your own adventure situation where you could take many yeah. different paths. Yeah. And everyone has a different way on how they process the information. I think that is what people are missing when it comes to computer programming, right? People say, oh, just learn how to code. But as someone that has taught people how to code for nearly two decades, a little over two decades, and I'm trying to age myself, but anywho, I know how someone codes better than I know how they write because they will use certain structures and systems that are fundamental building blocks of coding. And I'll be like, yep, that's what that person did. Yep, I understand. But if someone's, their handwriting, I might not know it, but I'll know how they code. So so it is an art form. It is a language when it comes to translating what we are trying to express as humans to a machine that's just zeros and ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that art is lost. So when it comes to critical thinking, the same thing happens you cannot just replicate someone's process because if Mm. anyone's a coder out there, they know they get someone's code and you're like, what is this? I don't understand (laughs) this. And it takes you a minute because you're trying to reorient from what you think the process should be to what that person's process is. Mm -hmm. One other piece of this that I, I just keep looping back to in my mind is the idea too, that you're, you know, you, you keep saying how AI has to be trained on things. We also have to be giving it information it can understand. It's trying to work within a bunch of parameters. And all of that is historical data. It's what's happened. It's been the reality. But I think to me, like the magic of being like a human and that critical thinking in the moment is when you're faced with a completely brand new situation, the context, a new conflict, new parties suddenly enter and are involved. Like how, I just can't wrap my head around like how could an algorithm trained on only historical data suddenly properly, you know, take this one new data point in time and respond in a way that a human would. I guess to me like that, that's one of the biggest sticking points in my head is like, we only have the past. Nobody knows the future. So like, is that one of the big shortcomings of AI or do you think they are maybe better at predicting the future? Because we're not as unique and net new as we think like history repeats itself like i don't know i think that ai is not good at predicting the future i think that the historical data is only good in the context in which it was gathered Mm -hmm. so for example let me be more concrete a lot of the machine learning models that are part of these generative AI tools like ChatGPT are based on, let's say, news articles and books, right? But let's say just let's look just at news articles. Well, news articles for a very, 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 very long time have been written mostly by white men. Mm-hmm. So that means it's their perspective. I mean, we could go back to just... 20, 30, 40 years ago and look at the news articles and how they spoke, they speak about certain people, right? Anyone who is undocumented, we say undocumented now, before it was illegals. Before that, it was immigrants. Before that, it was some derogatory terms, right? So AI to me can't predict the future. That's why humans need to be in the loop. And I think that's Mm -hmm. always going to be the limiting factor of AI. And the other issue that I always like to bring up is that people think AI is going to evolve and like we as humans aren't going to (laughs) evolve. Like we're Mm going to evolve too. So Mm -hmm. 
we're 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 here before AI and we're evolving and then AI is evolving. AI evolving fast. I I understand that point, but we're evolving even faster because we have AI. So, we're always ahead of AI no matter how how you look at the spectrum. Like humans first, then AI. <laughs> We created the AI, so we are always going to be evolving faster than the AI will, right? It's kind of like Google. Google was a brand new great thing 25, whatever, 25, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever. Now we're kind of like, meh, it's, it's, it's a phone book online. Like, we're just kind of like, you know, we're just, we're just kind of not too impressed anymore. Same thing's going to happen with the AI. Dr. Marshall, I really just want to dig into something that you said there and your perspective. I guess in my mind, one thing that I'm always like kind of wrestling with internally is like there's a difference between things being fair and equitable. And yeah, I mean, I can stand on a soapbox and talk about that for a long time, but me too. (laughs) Just discussing that perspective about like AI and I guess like marginalized voices or minority groups, like is there a particular, like, do you think there's something that we're missing in that piece? Because like, like you said, right, the input is historical data and historical data is always going to represent the like majority of our population or the majority of the voices or whatever the case may be. Is there like ways that we can better protect there that we're not considering or that you've given thought to? And if I'm totally taking you into an area you haven't considered, feel free to let me know. I think about it quite a bit because I'm trying to do my best in order to amplify all types of, you know, historically excluded voices, right, around the world. So I think the stories of people who have been marginalized are never represented well in the mainstream because this is a society that's very tilted towards certain demographics, right? White, patriarchy, male, yeah, la, 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 and on and on. But what I do think is that we honor their space. So if they want their stories to be digitized, then digitize them in the way that they want. And I think that is something that we're missing as a society, is that there's this kind of like, everything needs to be somehow digitized well maybe certain aspects don't (laughs) maybe the story doesn't need to be typed up doesn't need to be auto recorded maybe it needs to be just word of mouth and handed down in a certain tradition and honoring their culture and their community Um, and I think that's the part that we're missing for those individuals in those communities that want to have their content in a digital space, then include them in all aspects, right? From the funding to the dissemination, right? Not just including them on the back end after you've done all of the things, created the platform and you know, include them in all. And I think that's the other part that's missing is that there's not an inclusion of the people and their communities from the very beginning. And it it can happen in in micro ways, right? You just decide in a room that you're going to have a particular survey done and you want to interact with a group that's historically been marginalized. But you never talk to anyone that's part of that marginalized group. (laughs) Like that, Mm. like just that step. It's like you can't think about it when you're building the system. You need to actually think about it when you're like, quote unquote, collecting the data. Like that needs to be where the the thought process starts. Yeah, it needs to be in the requirements and the spec component. It doesn't need to be on the testing side. Like it needs to be way earlier in the conversation. I think those are the parts that we're missing as a scientific society, but also as a practitioner society. People just do things to get them done to meet a deadline. They don't actually think about who is it impacting on the back end first and then reverse engineer it. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask too, we touched on this a little earlier, especially from your, your medium post with the three aspects and you were saying, you know, those are very human. And if your role encompasses any of those, like 
you should have a job moving forward because AI can't do those. And, you know, within a role, I think it's even hard to say, like, if you were to go around the room and ask, what's your role at work? And what are all the tasks that go within that role? I think it would be really hard to nail down exactly what those are. And so thinking of AI as like good at doing tasks and people now firing humans to say, you're going to, AI is going to take over your whole role feels very short-sighted and it feels very unrealistic to what you were mentioning earlier, because if we, if it's good at tasks, but we can barely describe all the tasks the role does, how do we expect it to take over? I mean, there are projections out there for millions of jobs that it's going to take over. And each one of those is a role that I feel like is more complex than we have given it credit. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I completely agree with you, Julie. Can we just take over the world now? <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do it. Um, one podcast at a time. <laughs> one podcast okay. at a time. Yes. Um, because that's where I sit. I sit on the, do you even know what that person does? Do you even mm-hmm. know what you do in your role? Because you don't necessarily write down everything that you do every single day. I mean, just the mm-hmm. level of meetings that people have and the recording of those meetings is so much tasks that then get decided on who does them and when it gets done. And some get thrown by the wayside because they become not important anymore. This is where I think humans will always have a job because someone Mm -hmm. needs to man the AI because who's, I mean, if AI is going to take over a job, then who's going to make sure AI did it right? Yeah. That was the big point I took away from your second thing around conflict resolution because to me what happens in that space is usually some sort of holding of attention between two things that may need to balance out like for instance a business a profit motive balanced with how we treat people and how we treat them fairly or equitably so like an ai is going to come at you with well here's how i think we address the profit motive but how do you know it's adequately holding the tension of treating people the right way. And and I think that's at the heart of it where we can't really let AI have those responsibilities mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and it's not ready. And you see it even when you do chats with GPT, if you stray into an area where it feels uncomfortable, you said it really well, Dr. Marshall, you know, computers just aren't great at maybe types of questions, I guess this is a paraphrase of the way you said it. it was basically they shut down. They, they just need a yes or a no. And it will, ChatGPT will be like, oh, I, I can't answer any of these questions. We got to stop talking about this. And it feels sort of bureaucratic in a way in that it's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, and so like one of the things I think about in terms of sort of the future of this is because AI is not a person and it's really difficult because it feels very person-like when you're talking to a generative AI in ways like it's gotten really good at mimicking sort of human speech and English and patterns and things like that. Do you believe that we'll get to a point where we can teach an AI how to hold some of these tensions in, in decision-making and things like that? Or is that something that a computer should never, ever be expected to do in the history of, of humanity? And I, I don't really know. It's calling for a lot of philosophical and (laughs) I think drawing on a lot of your expertise as a computer scientist, but I'm just, you know, speculation, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty hard-nosed about like yeah. no. I'm a hard no. I'm I'm no. Yeah. Computers need to not do certain things. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the zeros and ones will ever get to the point where it can make those type of thoughtful, critical decisions. Yeah. Because there's going to be too many sub conditions that the computer will will glitch the algorithm will just be like i don't know what to do because it could go five different ways and it doesn't know what to output right so Mm -hmm. i think the best it can do is to provide you with the choices Mm -hmm. and then you as the human can decide if you're going to take one of those choices or go a different route yeah. But I think if we as a as a human society relinquish the control to AI, we are going to be the bots. 
Yeah. And, and you, you kind of see this played out practically in all the examples of where we have negative outcomes in society from depending on machine learning algorithms too heavily in terms of like sentencing in courts. Um, I think there was a story about Amazon a while back where they were using it to sort of grade resumes and it was doing a really awful job of that and so on and so forth. And it seems like that's when we, when we just let it run with it, we, that's where we kind of stray off of what should be the right path. We kind of need a human to still be checking all the work. Exactly. But, but I just need to (laughs) throw a spanner in the works. Go for it. I keep listening to us all say like, cool, AI is not going to take our jobs. We still need to be there. Who's going to check that the, the models are running properly. And I'm like, but do we actually have the skill set and the sophistication ourselves to do that well? Because there's a lot of indicators that we're not doing a great job at it. So it's kind of like, yes, AI is going fast and moving fast. And it's kind of like, if we're meant to be there to be the check and balance, like what are the skills that, that we as people need to develop to do that check and balancing job well? Because I'm not sure that we're there right there, right now. Mm-mm. No, we're not. We're not there at all. And and that is a two-pronged problem. The first one I mentioned earlier, which is the education, right? Getting upskilled or reskilled and in under, in understanding the digital infrastructure and what that means. The second prong of that is, of course, companies who claim intellectual property on how they are building these systems that they are not sharing, that, that, that there's no transparency in how these systems are operating or built. So we have two opaque things happening at the same time that is not working in our best interest, right? We need more people to have curriculum that understand what AI, data, computing, statistics, and the digital skills are. We can label them different things, right? We need that. Right, People right now, not the future children, not the current children, but adults right now. <laughs> Everyone wants to talk about the children. Let's talk about adults. Adults need to understand that. But then we also need companies to be more transparent about what their systems are doing. But this is to me is that that second part is the rub because I don't believe a lot of the companies understand how their systems are working. The reason why they don't is because they're using open source technology that they are just plugging and playing, that they don't even take a look under the hood to see what that open source technology is really doing and nor have they vetted it. It's just become part of product right into their full system. So they don't understand it and they want to go fast. Yeah, but it's funny. I was I was almost going to say like, is open source technology the solution then? Because then that gives transparency of what businesses are doing and what models are using. But then it seems like that also has the flip side, right? Then if people are employing open source technology that they haven't written that maybe, yeah, they don't look under the hood, they just plug and play. Yeah. So for me, open source is a point of ethical contention because no one is talking about the ethics of the open source mm. technology. Everyone wants to protect those who are creating open source, right? The programmers and the developers. That's great. Protecting their software library. So you know who wrote the software libraries. That's wonderful. But no one is talking about whether or not they have done a responsible and ethical job in building the technology, right? What systems are they using? What structures are they using? What sort and search algorithms are they using? Is it biased? Is it not by They haven't done any type of risk mitigation analysis over the open source. And the other issue that I in particular have with open source is no one is leading them either because everyone is volunteer. So there's no incentive in order to be ethical or responsible. There's only an incentive in order to make sure your name gets associated with a very popular software library and you get, you know, internet fame. (laughs) So I have certain contentions with open source (laughs) that most people don't think about, but I think about as someone that's been in the field, but also looking at the space. And now that GitHub is owned by a trillion dollar company that also has embedded in it generative AI tools with GitHub Copilot, we're seeing a lot of junk coming out of open source now. So you have to be very careful. Well, and it seems like with open source, the horse has left the barn in terms of 
people are pretty gung-ho to try to apply it in some capacity. But I think that's what brings me back to kind of your third point, which is it's never too late to start introducing critical thinking to this process, right? Which is both a human thing to do at the ground level, but also at the architectural level as well, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So would your biggest piece of advice be that people need to start questioning it more when they go to use it? Like, should they use it when they use it, the output? Or what would be your couple pieces of big advice for people now that AI is out there and kind of becoming like mainstream, cool, everybody wants to use it? Yeah, I think I think it will be questioning it. I think it is, where has it been used, right? So what's the source of it? Who owns it? <laughs> Who owns it? What's the source of it? What are the case studies for the positive and what are the case studies for the negative? If you can't identify those, then hold fast, right? Like just stop, stop looking at it. Because if if you are seeing a technology that's out there that you can't identify where it came from and good and the bad of it, then you don't get a 360 view of it. And I think because we're human, we see the 360 view, but AI only sees 180 at a time. And so we need to bring the 360 in. So that's my biggest piece of advice. And also talk to people, like not just random people, but talk to people who are actually in the space. So there's podcasts, there are newsletters of people in this space who are talking, there's people on YouTube who are talking directly about new technologies that have that critical lens that is talking on the positive and the negative. And so that's who you want to follow. It's not just the whomever happens to be popular on, you know, TikTok or, or IG, but trusted sources is where you need to be looking to focus. Awesome. All right. Well, this has flown by so fast. Yeah, <laughs> this it has. is so awesome. <laughs> we get to start to wrap up. Dr. Marshall, very great. Thank you so much. A very sobering conversation around just sort of how to look at this from multiple perspectives. And I, I think that's given us a lot of thoughtful things to take away. Anyway, one thing we like to do is go around the horde and share something that we think might be of interest to our audience. We call it Last Call. Uh, you're our guest, uh, Dr. Marshall. Do you have a last call you'd like to share? Oh, my God. I have two. Can I do That's two? That's okay. Yeah, totally. Tim Wilson, who is the quintessential <laughs> analyst, regularly has two. Tim approved. Tim approved. That is a fine layer to exist in for sure. All right. So the first one, I have to just plug my Black Women in Data Summit. It is happening September 23rd, 24th. It's in Atlanta, as well as virtually. It's blackwomenindata.com. And just connect with us, subscribe. You'll get some great stuff as far as commentary in this, what is in this perspective, especially for Black women in this space. So that's the first one. So I got to do the shameless plug. And then the second one happens to be something that, you know, is dear to my heart right now, which is the Montgomery Riverfront brawl that Uh. happened. And for those who don't know, you can just type it in August the 5th, 2023, and you will see what happened. But um, you can go to my website, dataedx.com slash RTN. That's my Rebel Tech newsletter. And I put a post out. I think it's the, the August 15th post that just has an emoji version <laughs> of what happened. And I find it just gave me joy <laughs> when I found it as a data person to see a scenario play out and then it to be converted into emojis. So those are my two things. There's been some, there's so much great content that's come from that. Like there's a song I heard the other day. It was so awesome. So yeah. Lift every chair and swing. (laughs) Yeah. I'll never look at a white chair, uh, folding chair the same ever again. So it is, uh, it's a beautiful, and there's, and there's a lot of historical context to that as well. That particular plot of land was an auction block during the enslavement days. And so the, 
that land has been now almost like reclaimed by um, the black people in the area. So just know that there's a historical context to, to the, the joy of all the memes that have been going around. So those are my yeah, two. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Julie, what about you? What's your last call? My last call is actually kind of tied to everything we were talking about today, because I have a, a newsletter that I get and there was an article recently by the Wall Street Journal and it was it's talking all about it's titled the $900,000 AI job is here and it's pretty much salaries for employers or salaries for jobs at like Netflix and Walmart around AI and managing AI and that number just kind of blew me away um, and the newsletter highlights from that article, though, just some of the statistics of like these different salaries for engineers working with AI, product managers of AI, and it was wild. So not only do we think AI is going to take a bunch of jobs, it sounds like, though, if you can be the human aspect working with AI, sounds pretty lucrative. So that's my last call. <laughs> nice. All right, Bo, what about you? Oh, I feel like we need a drum roll for mine. I'm a little bit hyped. Next month on Saturday, the 28th of October, we have Measure Camp Sydney happening at Google. I am so, yeah, it's like, it's my Christmas. It's the best day of the year. For those, if you are based in Australia or New Zealand, I mean, if you want to come from even further away, you are welcome to because tickets are free. But just a reminder, it's an unconference. We normally get about 200 people and the Sydney Measure Camp, like, I'm just going to like, uh, brag a little bit is freaking phenomenal. I think the caliber of speakers and yeah, just the whole day ends up being super, super fun. And we have an awesome after party afterwards as well, where we do database trivia. So if you're a data nerd, nerd and you want to geek out at an on unconference on a Saturday, head to sydney.measurecamp.org and get yourself a ticket. And Helbs, over to you. All right. Well, I have a really simple one, but it's very and it's fairly tactical, but it might just help people out there. So a lot of people in the analytics community have been switching out their Google Analytics for the latest version in the last few months, Google Analytics 4. And I've consistently found a couple of people who just always have really great information to share. And as I'm constantly looking at their posts and things they're posting about it and learning from them. So I figured I'd just share those two people so that you can too, if you'd like. So one of them, they're both on Twitter. One of them is a guy named David Vallejo and he's a super underrated, like technical genius type person around this stuff. And he's always posting awesome information about how the system works and what's in behind it. And there's a lot of questions that people have about how Google Analytics 4 works. So just useful. And the other one is Charles Farina, who I also get a lot of value from. And there's also many other people, of course, in our community who are providing great information. But those two really stand out to me and are sort of my go-tos for information in that space. So a little bit tactical, but sort of helpful. All right. Well, as you've been listening, I know you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, I'd like to learn more about that or I'd like to comment. Well, we'd love to hear from you. And the best way to do that is through the Measure Slack community on uh, Slack or our LinkedIn page or also on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. I don't know. But yeah, we would love to hear from you. I don't know, Dr. Marshall, are you um, active on social media? I think you might be active on Twitter and maybe some other places. Yeah, so I'm more active on LinkedIn now because I don't LinkedIn. know what's happening on whatever it's yeah. called. Um, <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> um, and, and because I'm not paying um, uh, on, on whatever that platform is, people don't see my stuff anymore. So I have a wasteland on whatever that, oh. that platform is called. But so I'm, I'm actually really on LinkedIn. So just my name, Brandeis Marshall. And then Perfect. you'll, you'll find me. Cause that's like only like two of me in the world. <laughs> awesome. And, and yeah, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes on the website. So you can find her easily there. So awesome. Great conversation. Dr. Marshall, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thank um, you for really having great. me. This was fun. Hopefully I didn't scare yeah. people. <laughs> I mean, it's eye-opening, but I think it's better to just sort of be aware than to not be aware. And Absolutely. 
As we wrap up, no show would be complete without a huge shout-out to our producer, Josh Crowhurst, who works behind the scenes to make all this possible, and Tim Wilson, who's also helping out a little bit on the show production side this week, helping us make sure everything goes smoothly. So thanks to both of you. And I know I speak for both of my co-hosts, Julie and Mo, when I say, no matter what the AI is telling you, keep analyzing. Thanks for listening. Let's keep the conversation going with your comments, suggestions, and questions on Twitter at, at AnalyticsHour, on the web at AnalyticsHour.io, our LinkedIn group, and the Measure Chat Slack group. Music for the podcast by Josh Crowhurst. So smart guys wanted to fit in, so they made up a term called analytics. Analytics don't work. I love Venn diagrams. It's just something about those three circles and the analysis about where there is the intersection, right? Hey, Julie, just remember Tim is here and he will hear everything you say. <laughs> so, That's right. Oh, no. What is that? That's a threat? <laughs> something going to happen? No. Sometimes we see how much we can taunt him just to so see if we can ever get actually, him actually, let's, let's not do that. Dr. Marshall... <laughs> Tim is actually has a nickname on the show. You know, he's known as the quintessential analyst. So feel free to work that in anywhere. Where you in play. my comments. Don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> Pretend I am not here. <laughs> That's right. Pretend. I am pretending you're not okay. here. <laughs> this is my favorite thing to do. All right. All right. We've all regressed to middle school. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can't have a little fun... Rock flag and ay 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 ay. That was oh, a great one. Uh, that was like, <laughs> you might have a new job there. <laughs> so, there's uh, so much backstory. Now I get exactly how you feel, though, too. Yeah. You're like, I've had a great discussion with somebody really smart. Yeah. No idea what's coming. You're like, you're you're like just what? <laughs> We're trying to be professional here. Yeah.